0: Aren't you glad that in January like this, on a day like this, that you live in the great state of Texas? (laughs) Yes, I am very, very thankful for this lovely weather. God is so good to us. Can I just ask the Lord to help me today? We're always dependent upon you, our Father, for everything. And the truth is, we need you now more than ever before. So as we look at your word today, Lord, let life and light come from the truth of your word. Speak to our hearts today, O Holy Spirit. We invite you to come and hover amongst us today and settle over us today so that we would hear the truth of your word and we we would be changed because of a dynamic encounter with your word today. So bless us today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... I have been personally lingering for the last uh, few weeks in the book of Job. We presented a message on the last Sunday of December, which was just a month ago from chapter 19, where Job had, in the midst of his trials and suffering and all the things that were taking place, he had that suddenly moment where something went on in his head. And uh, he gives us that incredible statement that in the midst of all of his problems, in midst of all of his trials he could say for i know that my redeemer lives and that he shall stand at last on the earth i want to look at another aspect from the book of job today and uh but to do that let me just run a real quick review of the first chapter to lay the groundwork in place some of the things we discussed a month ago and then We're going to look from the first chapter of Job, and then we're going to jump to the very end of the book and see if there's not something there for us today, and I'm believing and trusting the Lord that there is. So we find out what happened to Job, that all in the same day, one messenger after another comes to him and delivers one piece of bad news after another piece of bad news after another. He finds out that all of his assets, all of his possessions are gone. And then he finds out that all of his children are dead. And just after that, here comes another messenger and says, all the property and land that he has owned is all burned and it is destroyed. His cattle, his livestock, they've all been stolen. Some freakish uh, storm blew through. And what it did is it caused all of his children to die. It took all, And they're, they're all gone. One piece of bad news after another piece of bad news, and it's the, the battle that none of us would want to face, and it's so overwhelming when we read it from the book of Job that it can almost simply take your, your breath away, and it's in this first chapter of Job where we see this foundation of the narrative here. After all the bad news has been delivered to Job, and he's, he's looking at what all has happened, and we hear him say this incredible statement that I'm going to read in just a second, but let me just say this. This subject of suffering, the idea that we face trials and tribulations and hardships and difficulties is common to all of us. I know any time that I bring any sort of truth from this pulpit that has to do with that subject, there's going to be a large number of people who at any given moment that are in this room who have walked in today and your head is bowed down with life's difficulties and problems. It could be any number of things. It may not be to the intensity that Job had, but it's something that is facing you. But there's some truth here for us today, and we can rest in this, that God is our helper. Can you say amen to that? Job chapter 1, verse 20. Job arose and tore his robe after all of this had happened. Messenger after messenger had come to him. Arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshiped. In that moment, he worshiped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. And then he gives us this absolutely amazing statement The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Finish it for me. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, sometimes when you're looking at scripture, and you're trying to figure out what it's saying to you, one of the angles or the uh, dispositions you can take when you're looking at it is to determine what the Scripture is not saying as well as what it is saying. Look at it from the opposite side. What is it not saying? And one of the things that's interesting about that is when you look at it from the other angle, what is it not saying, you will find, I have found, many times that my behavior, my thinking, and even my actions sometimes more strongly reflect what it's not saying than what it is saying. For example, Job did not say, the Lord gave and the devil took away. He didn't say that. We sometimes think that way or behave that way or put it all in that light But that is not what he said. He did not say, the Lord gave and the devil took away. Nor did Job say, the Lord gave and the mess I made of my life took it all all away. Not that that can't happen. But that's not what he said here. Job didn't blame the takeaway, or what we're going to call subtraction, on the devil. No, he clearly stated that it was the Lord who gave, and it was the Lord who took away. And then he gives us that fabulous, fabulous statement, but blessed be the name of the Lord. What Job was saying, church, very clearly is this, that God is still God, whether He is adding to your life or subtracting from your life. Do I need to say that again? God is still God. God. I'm going to call it today God's mathematics. Kids, that's the title of the message today, God's mathematics, or God's math, if you'd rather just put that. Whether God is adding to your life or subtracting from your life, He is still God. And Job makes this so clear to us today in, in this scenario, scenario, and it becomes a, a teaching session for us, a classroom, if you will, whereby that we learn the value of And the importance and the necessity of giving praise to God, not only for his provision, not only for the additions that he brings to our life, but as believers, people who have decided you're going to follow Jesus, come what may, we must also learn to praise the Lord for those times of subtraction and those times when something is taken away. Now, obviously, it's much easier to praise God when he's adding We all enjoy that when God gives, but can we still recognize His God nature? Can we still recognize His omnipotence? Can we still recognize His full knowledge of everything that we need to know and have when He is removing something from us? The church has certainly done a far better job in the last few years of teaching that God gives and wants to give, and thank God He does. I'm glad He's a God of blessing. Who's with me on that? He is a God of blessing, and He does want to bless us, and He does, and and He will, and it's true. But we have tended to be much stronger on that part of the equation than on the back part or part B of the equation, because we have to learn also to praise when God chooses to remove something from one of our lives. Without a doubt, it can be one of the biggest tests of our faith. when We're experiencing part B, the takeaway, the subtraction of to the equation, even though Uh, We have to understand that what he has often subtracted is something that we love, something that we value, something that we will now miss greatly. And it puts us in an incredible spiritual battle. Whether it's something that he's taken away like a job. Some of you may have received the news this week, your job is coming to an end. For whatever reason, it might be the takeaway or the subtraction or the removal of a loved one. You may have lost a dear, dear, close loved one in the last few months or in the last period of time. It could be the removal of a relationship that was extremely valuable to you for whatever reason. It could be that you've been removed from a city that you love. You've, you've transplanted, you should be glad you're in Texas, but you've transplanted here from someplace else that you dearly, dearly love. Whatever it may be. When takeaway comes, here's what happens within us. The spiritual battle heats up. You know I often quote C.S. Lewis, wonderful writer. He gave us an incredible answer one day when he was asked the question, why do the righteous suffer? Why do the righteous suffer? And here was the answer from C.S. Lewis. It's epic because he says, because they're the only ones who truly know how to handle it. (coughs) And church, that's true. You may not feel like it today. But it is true, because if you are a Christian, God has given you, through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the ability to go through anything that may come your way. With the help of His Son, Jesus, with the wonderful presence we sang about this morning of the Holy Spirit, because it is being a Christian that gets you through the toughest seasons of your life. Can I just put it in a little different framework for you? It's not your ethnicity that gets you through the seasons of life. It's not your culture that will get you through the toughest seasons of life. If you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, if you have given your heart to Christ, if you have declared Him as Lord and Savior of your life, before you are anything else, before you are black, before you are white, before you are Hispanic or Asian, you are a Christian. Called by his name. Therefore, let us put things in proper order and in proper alignment today. Before we are anything, we are a blood washed child of God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And because of that, you have the grace of God to get you through any trial because you've been saved by grace. And the first banner that you carry is that of a Christian. You carry that banner. You have God's enabling help that He can get us through anything. It's tough when the battles come back to back, like it happened for Job. One right after another, after another, without even a chance to to catch your breath. And Job lost not only all of his property, all of his assets, that his children are all gone. And now he's faced with this issue that any of us would be faced in that situation. How do I get through this? How do I walk through this trial? Well, let me tell you this. There's a starting place. And you may be right there today. How do I get through this, Pastor Dan? Do you realize how much bad news I got this week? How do I get through this? You start right here. You declare that you are a Christian because then you understand this. With the Christian, you can say this. God is with me. God is with me. And he can get me through this. The Bible refers to, along with many other things, Jesus as a refiner. Kids, that's R-E-F-I-N-E-R, which is my clue to write that down, okay? Refers to Jesus as a refiner. A refiner is one who would work with precious metals and purify them. The only way that a refiner can change the metal is to keep it in the fire, In the same way, there's obviously the parallel there for us. The only way that God can mold us is to take the hard part of us, the part of us that we have somehow allowed, whether advertently or inadvertently, to become rigid and inflexible and unpliable and crusty and hard. And the only way he can do that is to put it in the heat of the fire so that we become bendable and moldable to become what He is shaping us to be. The problem in our day and generation is this. If we only know God as provider, if we only know Him as the one who adds to us, and that's the way the the world sees God, how could a loving God take something away? How could a, a God who's as great as you say, how could He be the one who could remove anything? They obviously don't know the magnitude of our God. For the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But if you only know Him, and you have only come to your spiritual journey only for that which He's going to give you, only for that which He's going to add to you, if that's all you know of Him, and you know only part A of the equation and not part B, then you're going to have a difficult time understanding this. Because there will come moments in the life of every believer Where God has to take you and put you in his refiner's fire. How many have been there once or twice in your life? He will, those moments will come where he has to place you in his refiner's fire and there is purpose for it. There's reason for it. There is the expression of his love in that for you whether you see it or not or whether you believe it or not at the moment. So that he can bend you into the position and into the person he needs you to be. Now, we don't particularly care for that process because the refiner has to do something else. He typically has to beat, is the picture? Yeah, he has to not only have it in the fire, but he has to beat the gold or the metal with a hard mallet while it's in the fire, making the process even all that much more unbearable and unpleasant. But that process of beating us, While burning off impurities is getting us to the best shape that we can possibly ever be in our lives. Even as he is changing us, church, from glory to glory. It's a song we used to sing around here years ago. He's changing us from glory to glory, from grace to grace, and from revelation to revelation. So wise and mature is the believer who understands you're always in a process of change. You never have this whole thing nailed down. He's always changing us and he's, he, we're not what we're going to, what we have been, but we're, thank God we're not even what we're going to be yet because he's always changing us. So what's he changing? He may be changing relationships. He may have so maneuvered your life that relationships are changing for you. May have changed jobs for you. He may even be changing your calling. Oh, no. That can't happen. I'm a minister of music for my whole life. It's what I was called to do. Surely the Lord wouldn't mess up that plan. Can I tell you that's something to deal with? Because well, this is a little side note here sometimes with our calling comes identity. And we get wrapped up in our identity. I'm a prophet. I'm Evangelist Dan. Now we may not take it that far. We may not get all carried away with the titles, at least the way we express it to everybody else. But inside, we have formulated in our minds what we believe God has called us to do and to be. But the person who's willing to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is the person who understands that they will from time to time have to go through the refiner's fire because he's going to shape you and mold you and bend you into what he needs for you to be today. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but I can't hear you. Hallelujah, indeed. The good news is always this. What you were before the fire is not what you're going to be when you get out of the fire. And here's another little aspect of that. With gold, the whole thing has to be put into the fire. He didn't just dip half of it in the fire. The whole piece has to be in it. So what does that say to us today? Well, it says to us... If you're being subjected to the refiner's fire, you may recognize that the whole of you is in the fire. So don't be surprised when everything in your life is in the battle zone. Have you, like me, ever woken up and realized when I look this way, oh, that looks, man, there's a battle there. Let's go this way, and there's a battle everywhere your eye turns, there's a battle. Who's had that experience? There's days you wake up, you can't find a place to look that you don't see stress and difficulty and problems everywhere your eye turns. That's because you are a piece of gold being put in the refiner's fire, and the whole of you has to be put in there. Don't be surprised when every aspect of your life is put into the refiner's fire. Your marriage, your kids, your church, your car, your job, your house, everything. He may have the whole thing in the fire because he's shaping you into what you're supposed to be. And so that's exactly what happens to Job. It's exactly what happened. Everything about Job was in the refiner's fire. And it needed to be for God to do his work in him. Because you see, here's what we understand. And some of you, uh, when I'm getting ready to talk about you, do this maybe for a hobby. A clay pot sitting on the shelf is just a clay pot. But a clay pot put into the fire, or the kiln, comes out as fine porcelain. Somewhere along the journey of our life together, uh, Becky developed a, uh, a liking for porcelain, certain pieces of porcelain. She didn't have a lot of it, but we have a nice display cabinet in our home that um, she loves stuff called yadro. And uh, a few pieces are there. They're, they're beautiful pieces. She has a certain Thing that she likes about that. And I, as I was finishing the preparation of this sermon yesterday, I happened to walk by that cabinet in, in our home, and I saw some of the beautiful pieces of Yadro that are there. And then uh, her mother happened to like Hummels. And so when her mother passed away, we now those Hummels are in the cabinet along with the pieces of Yadro. And I looked at it, oh, man, the detail, the beauty is spectacular. And it struck me. They didn't get that way just by being a piece of clay. In fact, I went and YouTubed uh, what the process looks like. And can I say, I wouldn't want to be a piece of Yadro or a Hummel. Because the process was quite grueling. But at the end of the day, when you look and see what it becomes, because of the beauty, the spectacular detail, it is amazing what happens. When we submit ourselves to the refiner's fire. Clay doesn't just change sitting on the shelf. Clay changes when it's put through the fire. And so Job is right there in the fire. He's right in the kiln. And we know that it was God who initiated the whole thing for him. In fact, God even opened the furnace door for him, if you will, by saying this. Have you considered my servant Job? And of course it was Satan who answered. Yeah, but if you do subtraction on him, he won't praise you then. Basically, Satan was saying to this, God's going to brag about his servant Job, but he says, he's only serving you for the stuff that you give him, and that you bring him. He's one of those blessing guys. He likes the blessing. He's in it as long as there's addition, but he'll, he'll leave you when there's subtraction. But of course, God knew better. He said, go ahead, take the stuff, and he'll still praise me. And of course, we know Job did that. Before it's over... Every part of Job in the fire, as we said, his marriage, his health, his property, his assets, his children, every possession. And most commentators, when you look at it and study, will say that this period of time for Job was probably about a year that all of that took place. And during that year, Job has to endure what we know from the narrative, listening to a lot of crazy people who are trying to comfort him and saying things like, just curse God and die. That's the answer to everything. But then, after everybody speaks, and everybody comes with their opinion on what he should be doing with his problems, the whole book of Job takes a turn at chapter 38, and it's right here that we're going to get the one big point of this message. Now, students, sometimes sermons have three points. Occasionally, it'll be four points or whatever. This one has one point, and everybody said, Hallelujah. That doesn't mean it's going to be shorter. One point, and we're going to get to it in a minute. I'll make sure, I'll give you a signal when I'm going to make sure you get it. For now, everybody take your Bible and go all the way down to Job chapter 38, which is toward the end. Job's in the fire, every part of him, as we said, because God's wanting to shape him and do something within him. So why do the righteous suffer? Because they're the only ones who can handle it, C.S. Lewis says. Now after everyone else has come along to Job and seen his problems and given their opinion on what he should or should not do, <clears throat> after everyone else speaks, I love the way chapter 38 opens up. It says this, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, who is this that questions my wisdom such, with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. As a matter of fact, 64 of them, and you must answer them. How many of you know it's not a great day when God Almighty says, Brace yourself like a man? You're in for something a little challenging. And when every other man who had tried to guide or comfort Job had run out of his wisdom, when all of their degrees and credentials had been exhausted, now it's time for God to speak. And here's what I find unbelievable. Whatever God says in the next four chapters, 38, 39, 40, and 41, we may not know exactly yet what it is. You may know if you've read the text often. Whatever it is that He says Because he speaks uninterrupted for four chapters. It absolutely changed Job. And it was the start of him being rescued. Now, how do I know that? Well, I know it because then when I skip to chapter 42, after the place where God had spoken for four chapters, Job's response tells us how he has responded to all this that God has said. We're going to look at it quickly. Job 42, Job's response I'm skipping over God's words. I'm talking about his response. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's me. And I was talking about the things (laughs) I didn't know anything about them, things far too wonderful for me. You said, Listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer. Because I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. What we clearly see is a man who has gone through a process with God through those previous four chapters. Whatever God said had unbelievable impact on him, and the light came on. Because remember, this is a man who has lost everything. I'm not going to rehearse it all again. All of this is now gone. But he has said, his response is this, I get it. Now I get it. You can do anything. And you can do everything. And it's not me that has any ability. So what on earth did God say in those four chapters that caused this unbelievable revelation to take place in Job. I want to know what God said. Don't you? I want to know because I need those words to get me through my toughest times of life. I want to know because I need those words to share with the many, many people who come through my office who are dealing with life's disasters. They're absolutely in life's crisis, as was Job. I need to know what were those words. What did God say to the man who is known throughout history to have suffered the loss of everything in such a horrific manner and then caused him to say, I get it. I'm going to summarize these four chapters for you very, very quickly. But I'm going to ask you that as I summarize what God said to him, you keep in mind this scenario. What Job has suffered, what his condition is, what his posturing is, as the Lord is speaking to him. I, I, I just don't know that I can, I don't know that I can create this moment with enough impact. His 10 children are going, can you imagine 10 caskets lined up across here this morning? I want you to get a sense of the grief and the sorrow and loss. Some of you may remember, it was a post-Christmas fire that took place just a few years ago, I can't remember, five years ago, in a house or a block that was about two blocks away from us over here. Mike Easton and our Bethesda Cares Ministries rushed in to help that very, very desperate family. And we conducted that funeral here in this very room with four caskets lined up across the front. It was a grandmother and three of her precious grandchildren that were killed in that fire right over here, just a block or two away. The grief in this room was as suffocating as the fire had, that was that had taken their lives. So as bad as that was, multiply that times two and a half. Imagine ten caskets lined up across here this morning and having to walk through that funeral service. Talk about tough. Where do you get the money to pay for that funeral? You've lost all your money. It's all gone. Your assets are gone. Your livestock is gone. gone. Your trading ability is all gone. And you can't go home after the funeral because you don't have a home anymore. Or who's going to take you in because your, your body is riddled with boils now. I can't even imagine what words are spoken Gets him out of this thing. Chapter 38. God simply tells Job about the earth and its measurements. God talks to Job about the stars, the oceans, and the clouds. He talks about a sunrise. He talks about the depths of the sea. And he asks questions like, Where does light live? Where does darkness dwell? Where does snow live? Where do you think is the storeroom for all of the hail? That's H-A-I-L, Texans. Where's the storeroom for all of the hail that we keep stored up that we use? Wow, that sounds so spiritual. Chapter 38. Chapter 39, God continues. Remember, he's talking nonstop for four chapters. He talks about the mountain goats, the donkey. He brings into the subject material an ostrich, a horse. talks about the hawk. It's like a lesson in zoology. Chapters 40 and 41 are even more of the same. In chapter 40, he talks about a a, a hippopotamus, or uh, the Scripture refers to it as a a behemoth. Chapter 41, a crocodile. Leviathan is the word. Sea monster. It can almost make you, when you're reading through it, almost think, am I I reading this wrong? Am Am I in the wrong place? Here is God talking to Job in this horrible condition. And he's talking about mountain goats and donkeys and ostriches and he's telling about clouds and hippos and where do you store up the snow and the hail. And I can almost see in my mind's eye Job going, "Um, when is this conversation going to be about me and my situation? Those are nice things to hear. When is this going to be about me? What has this got to do with me? Have you ever noticed... How anxious people are for the conversation you're having with them to be about them? Nervous laughter, nervous laughter, nervous laughter. In fact, typically, most folks you're talking with, they're just waiting for you to hurry up and finish whatever you're saying so they can get back to something they want to say about themselves. Am I telling the truth? There was someone I was dealing with here a while back who was complaining to me. Just said, you know, This person said, I just can't seem to get anybody to talk to me. I said, let me lay before you a challenge. Just try this. I was making no statement. I just said, let me give you a challenge. Here's, here's your homework assignment. See if you can go one week, and in every conversation that you have this week, absolutely no part of it is about you. None of it. I don't know if I can do that for a week. Well, then try it for a day. Try it just for a day. And take note in your mind how often in that conversation... You're tempted to turn the conversation back around to something about you or your interest, how often you're ready to do that. Some people guise that under the mask of, oh, I'm just trying to relate. Oh, that's bad, but let me tell you about my surgery. My surgery, da 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 da, da. You want to see the scar? No. Uh, oh, I'm sorry about your divorce. Let me tell you about That's nothing. Let me tell you about my divorce. How many know what I'm talking about? They're always ready to turn it back to something about them. And so let me just throw this in with no extra charge today whatsoever. This is free. Are you feeling that people push you away and you're just mystified by that? I wonder why that's happening. Then I'm gonna say, take my challenge and watch how people will be attracted to someone who wants to make their concerns, we call this reaching by the way, someone who wants to take their concerns And make that the primary, if not the sole, topic of conversation. You heard about the guy who was trying, really trying hard to not be so self-centered in conversation. So he said this to a friend. He said, well, they've been talking. He said, well, that's enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? (coughs) So can't you imagine... Job thinking, that's great about creation. That's great about the snow and the hail and the ostriches. It's wonderful. Let's talk about me and my problem. Because this conversation, this answer you're giving me has nothing to do with the issue at hand. But here's the shock of this story, church. That's not the response we get from Job. After he survives and listens to four chapters worth of God talking to him about all these seemingly unrelated things. That's not the response. He doesn't respond with, let's talk about me. No, he listens to chapters 38 through 41 and all the subject matter that would would have appeared to have nothing to do with his problem. And then we just read his response, which was basically this. He heard all of that and he said, got it. I get it. You can do everything. Can I just tell you that would not have been my response, if I'm honest. I would have been thinking, you know, I can learn all about that on the Animal Channel. I'll watch the Weather Channel and find out about the weather. But God, here's my problem. It's desperate, and could we please get back to the subject at hand? I'm going to get in trouble for this. This makes me think of many conversations I had with Pastor Dez over 30 years. Uh Uh-oh. Those of you who have been engaged with our incredible Pastor Emeritus know one thing about him. The more direct your question, (laughs) the more you're going to think you have got him in a corner to where he, he has to give you an answer of yes or no means the longer it's going to take and journey to get to the response. Which, by the way, may or may not have felt at the time like it was pertinent to your question. I watched many times over the years as people would try to nail him. I got him this time. He's not going to wiggle out of this one. Pastor Des, yes or no, do you believe in eternal security? Yes or no, our tongue's the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say, get your hiking boots on, buddy. You're going for a walk. He's a master at it. The inside story. Promise you won't tell this to Pastor Des. I finally caught on. I'm a slow learner, but I finally caught on. A few times, I would watch that kind of interaction happen. I would hear a direct question. I would hear his response, which was brilliant if they would listen to it. And then they would walk out the door. I would look at him and i go, you stinker. He'd go like that, as only Des could do. I'll never forget being 24 years old, just a few years ago. Sitting in his office. We were new on staff, and here I walk in, Mr. Type A personality, got my pad, my little tablet, and I've got my list of eight or nine or 10 questions that I just need him this is a senior pastor, my boss. Just give me a quick answer to this. Tell me, do you want yes, no? Do you want blue or green? Do you want it? Well, how, how do you want this? And then watch how quickly I swing into action, and I will get this done, because I am a task-oriented, goal-oriented, get out of my way kind of a guy, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make this happen, for you and for this church, and it's going to be wonderful. Just watch this. So I walk in. Pastor, you have a few minutes? Sure. I walked in. I sat down. I was primed and ready. I had my list. I said, I just need the answer to a few of these things. And I asked my first question. So do you want blah, 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 No response. He leans back in his chair. I said, um, let me ask it again. Do you want it to be like this or this or this? Yes, yes. He said, Put your tablet down. My tablet's my security blanket, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I just, I, I, just oh, I need just a yes or a no for this, and I'll, I'll get this done. Put your tablet down. Yes, sir. It's a terrifying experience. He leaned back. That finger right here, as he's done so many times. You're laughing because you've seen it happen to you. It's a warning. Something's coming, by the way. Mr. Smith? Yes, sir? Now, I had asked a specific question, kind of demanding a specific answer to it. I mean, simple to me. Mr. Smith? Yes, sir? I am never going to stand before the Lord and be held accountable and responsible for holding your gifts within the four walls of this church. Okay. I picked up my tablet, you know, I thought, that's nice, it's kind of like talking to me about ostriches, and where is the hail stored, I mean, and I picked it up, and I thought, okay, could we get back to the task, and he said, that's all, am I done, (laughs) okay, and I backed out the door this way. Was it frustrating? Yes. I ask a direct question. I want a direct answer. And you would think that Job would have been frustrated with God's response to him, which seemed completely unrelated. But not Job. He hears a speech on everything from sunrise to crocodiles, and he says, that's all I needed to hear. You know, God, you've got all the answer, and so I feel victory in my soul. Listen to me, church. What you and I think chapter 38 through 41 should have been, What I think, and I'm guessing you think this also, given the desperation of Job's condition, we think that whole thing, those four chapters, should have been God talking about why. Why are you in this situation? Why did this happen? We deserve an explanation. We think that we have the right to go before God and ask Him to give us the why. At least, that's the least he owes us. I get serious with you for a moment, because your questions go like this: Why did they die? Why did they divorce? Why did he abuse me? Why did they get cancer? Why can't I find a job? Why? Why? And what we want from God, hear me church this morning, what we want from God always is why. And we completely expect God to explain why we're going through what we're going through. And maybe we feel like we even deserve that. My goodness, I would think what God should have said in those chapters was something like this. He should have created this scenario and said, Job, let me, let me help you understand, buddy, what's going on. Me and Lucifer had a conversation, and it was um, I was just talking about you and bragging about you. And, and here's Lucifer, who I kicked out of heaven. I, I let him back in for on, on a pass for one day. And he came in, and, and I said, Lucifer, I call him Lou, you're talking about Job. You can do anything you want, but you, you just can't touch his body. And I bet he still praises me, Lou, and Lucifer went out and did his thing, and, and Job, that's why you lost your stuff. That's why you lost all your children. That's why you lost your property. And, and Job would, should have responded, oh, oh, okay, I, I see that. And then God says, well, but it wasn't over yet, because then he came back and... And he didn't really ask to do any more stuff, but I invited him to do all that stuff. And I said, you can now touch his body, but you can't take his life. And so, Job, it was it was me asking Satan to do that because I knew you'd still praise me at the end of it. That's the way I think chapter 38 through 41 should read. That's the way, you know. But instead, God gives him a lesson on creation. Have you ever had that happen to you, that you go through the worst trial of your life, and you finally decide to open the word of the Lord, to look for some help, and to read something that is, it's like, what happens is you're looking for something, you're flipping open the Bible, and you come across a scripture that sounds like, who feeds the ostriches? God, couldn't you let me find a scripture that really speaks to my issue and explains the why? Church, listen to me carefully. Knowing why will not give you what you need because there is no possible way that you will understand the complete picture of the why even if God did deign to explain it to you you would not understand it from his perspective and the sooner we stop asking why the sooner we will be able to get to our real victory in God hear me knowing why is not your answer but knowing God and who He is and recognizing His power and recalling what He has done, that will get you through your greatest trial, no matter what it is. So when God finally steps in at the end of this book and offers this animal lesson, what He was saying was this. Instead of answering the why question and giving Job an explanation, He was saying, I'm giving you the answer through your trial." And so what should we be seeking? What should we be looking for? What should we be asking when going through the most difficult times of our lives? Well, let me give you this quickly. First thing is, get rid of the why questions. There is nothing productive about your why question. Nothing productive. You probably won't get it. If you got it, it probably wouldn't be satisfying or satisfactory to you. You don't have the whole picture. You can't see the full measure of what God is doing. It is pointless to ask the why question. Secondly, so then what should we be doing? What you should be saying to God is this. Tell me more about Tell me more about you, whether you're dealing with creation, or whether it's storing the the hailstones, or whether you speak to lightning, or if you want to talk about ostriches, that's fine with me. Just tell me more about you, because my answer is not why. My answer is knowing who he is. But the problem is we think there is more value in why and the reason for the trial instead of placing our value in the God who can keep us through the trial and the God who says I can't tell you because you wouldn't get it even if I did tell you. All you need to know while in the midst of your trial is how powerful your God is. So I've changed my prayer as a result of all of this. Instead of trying to figure it out and oh, I understand the urge and the natural instinct, and, and uh, to want to try to get a, a resolve. I need this resolved in my head. I can't make it work in my head. I understand that. Can I give you a little relieving prayer this morning? Why don't you, instead of asking the quiet questions, just say, God, tell me more about you? More, more about Jesus. More about Jesus, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me, not why. Tell me about you. And Lord, I, I, I want to hear about the clouds and the oceans. I didn't think I wanted to. I didn't think it had anything to do with me, but now I do because if it's important to you, it's just the relationship of talking with you and understanding more who you are and how powerful you are, that is going to be the answer for every trial that I face. And I quickly direct you to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians who says these words. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord and three times that it might leave me and he, Jesus, the resurrected, exalted at the right hand of the Father, Jesus, the one who's ascended to his proper and rightful position as the king of the universe, that Jesus said to me these words in verse 9, By grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Don't you want to talk to me about the messenger of Satan and how bad this is? No. All you need to know is this. Job gets the animals and creation talk, and Paul gets this, my grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses and insults and distresses and persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. All you really need is a word from him. The one point of this message is this. Tell me more about Jesus. Even if it feels like the enemy has positioned every piece of your life to now be working against you. I don't know where to go, Pastor Dan. I don't know what to do. I feel like it's checkmate. And I close with this. In the 1950s, it was a black and white movie. It was a foreign film. It was a German movie called The Seventh Seal, all with English subtitles. It was quite an odd movie because it was built around this demonic figure of death playing chess with this medieval knight who was struggling with his belief in God. And the movie would go back and forth in this chess match and, and all these scenes where death was trying to, to take over. And the whole movie was about this knight's struggle to determine if God even exists, especially considering his pain and everything that was against him. So throughout the whole movie, you're watching this chess game where death would make a move and in fear then the knight would then move. And this would be followed by some scene where death is coming in and then some sort of ensuing struggle. But it comes to the very last scene where there is this demonic voice. It's this 50s figure dressed in black-looking, demonic clothing. Finally, this figure makes one final move. He brings the film to its climax. And in his demonic voice, he says, Checkmate! And in that period of time, in the 50s, when the movie was over, what would happen is the curtain would come down to signal it was the end. But the story goes that there was a young man sitting in the New York movie theater watching this movie. It was the 14-year-old chess prodigy Bobby Fischer. There sat Bobby Fischer with his amazing young mind watching every detail of this movie as it comes to its very dramatic conclusion. And with the final scene of the chessboard and that final move by the demonic figure and the curtain starts to descend. Interestingly enough, the movie's director, Bergman, had so shot that last scene and had so positioned the chess pieces on the chessboard in a way that could only be detected, be detected by a chess master. No one in the audience paid that close of attention, maybe didn't even understand the game well enough to know, when the demonic voice uttered the final cry, Checkmate. And the assumption about the ending of the story was apparent to all. Checkmate, death said. And the curtain comes down. But suddenly, with all of his idiosyncrasies, 14-year-old Bobby Fisher stands up in the movie theater and he screams at the top of his voice, No! It's not over yet! He saw the board. These were his words. He had watched the board in implicit detail, memorizing where every piece was positioned. And he stood up in that theater as the curtain was coming down. And he screamed at the top of his voice, No, it's not over. The king has one more move. Don't put the curtain down just yet. Because the king has one more move. Listen to me. Death may have said to you, checkmate. Hold it. Bring the curtain back up because the king has one more move. Job, you may have thought you lost your children. You may have thought you lost your property. You may have thought the curtain was coming down in chapter 37. But the king has one more move. And dear one, you may be sitting in this place this morning saying, I don't know what to do anymore. The curtain is descending upon my life. And I have a word for you this morning. And it's this. The king has one more move. Stand to your feet with me, please.